Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. Masculine tops, power bottoms, butch girls, femme boys, bears, otters, unicorns. There's no shortage of labels that queer people use to describe different sexual identities and preferences. But how do we navigate that horny, thorny path between realizing we're queer and deciding which boxes to check when filling out our dating profiles? Fruit Bowl features first-person stories that explore the unique ways we develop our sexual identities by sharing the sometimes messy, always fascinating, real-life sex histories of queer people. Our first introduction to sex, the embarrassing moments we'd like to forget, and the reliable bedroom moves that we've discovered along the way. Basically, all the stuff we wish we'd known when we first came out. Interviews are edited for clarity and brevity because we all know how much we love to talk about ourselves. Thanks for listening. Let's begin. Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave. And with me today is my guest, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hi. How are you? I'm doing good. (laughs) (laughs) We're here in my makeshift sound studio recording booth slash walk-in closet. And um, today we're going to listen to George's interview. And we'll get to that in a second. But before we do, I just wanted to take a moment to talk a little bit about my process of interviewing people for Fruit Bowl. Ryan, you may or may not know this, but you were my very first interview for Fruit Bowl. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, we we probably recorded it a little over a year ago, and you were very patient with me. Um, we had never m- really met in person before. I think it was like briefly, like acquaint through acquaintances, even. So. Yeah. So I think it was a good way for me to start because I really had to think about how to structure each interview and it definitely has evolved since I began but I did just want to go over sort of the core questions that I ask now and the reason I wanted to sort of go into more specifics about the process is because I am still in production for the podcast slash documentary film and I want to encourage people to volunteer to be interviewed if they like and and this is just a way to sort of familiarize you with the process and what questions i ask specifically so usually when i start out i'll have people just give me a general introduction of their background like where they're from how big their family was what the culture was like when they were growing up and during their adolescence which is you know and the blooming first moments of their sexuality (laughs) just to give people kind of uh, a snapshot of the social world that we each come from Um, so there's that's the beginning part of the interview and then when did you first learn about the concept of sex just as sex as a abstract idea like it doesn't have to be the mechanics of sex And then when did you first learn about queer sex, like non-procreative sex? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did your parents ever have the talk with you? I think that's one that I didn't ask you. No, I don't think so. I always kind of like to ask that because it does establish what your family's views of sex were in a general sense, like if they were comfortable talking about it. Yeah, right. Um, Usually they're not. (laughs) 
was your family comfortable talking about it? No, I don't think my parents ever brought it up. Um, I think that's more common than not. Yeah. And I think it was just kind of like more so like they weren't scared to talk about it. Just like let them figure it out. Right. (laughs) Yes. The hands off approach. Yeah. (laughs) And then how did you educate yourself about sex? Because I find that queer people have a whole other conversation about sex that they have to have with themselves because their parents probably don't talk about queer sex. Um, Who was your first crush? That's a new one. I think who was your first crush like famous or just like in general i i usually ask either or both like i say that you can either be it can be somebody famous or somebody you knew god i mean i just listened to part of my interview this morning so like i just go back to thinking about best little whorehouse in texas with (laughs) burt reynolds yes um that's a good one i mean so that was like when i was six so i think that pretty much solidified like yeah my hairy man obsession (laughs) (laughs) that's a good one um, what was the first thing you did when it came to experimenting with your sexuality? Usually it's masturbation. Um, describe your first time. When did you first fall in love? That's a new one. That is a new one. Yeah. What's the most embarrassing sex you've ever had? That one's I've that's always... like 90% my interview. <laughs> yeah. And that, that, that's always been a core interest of mine just cause I've, I originally did the interviews in preparation for a hump film. And I thought that would be a really fun theme to explore everybody's horror stories. I actually had a separate cut of that to submit to hump. I had two cuts. I had most embarrassing and then porn, what people's experiences with porn was. And I decided to just go with porn, but yeah, the, that's always a very fun conversation. What's your best move in bed? That's when I asked you, Mm -hmm. Um, if you could go back in time and tell yourself one piece of advice about having sex, what would it be? So that's just a general wrap up of the questions that I ask. So Ryan, you listened to your interview that we recorded a year ago. What was it like being interviewed? I really liked it. I liked, um, how you had me do it in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm the kind of person where I'm most comfortable in my own space. Yeah. So like that immediately for me maybe not for other people that might be kind of weird but for me like being in my own space especially my bedroom like that makes me open up more yeah um and that makes me like feel confident you know like being in my own space so yeah totally um also i i've I've found that the because i have a very stripped down production kit it is just me and the interviewee so i think that helps with with getting more intimate revealing interviews. Mm-hmm. Like if there was somebody there recording sound separately, you may not feel as comfortable. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's just my own personal feeling. Also, I can't afford to have people help me uh, cause I couldn't pay them. Um, so that's partly out of necessity too, but I do find that that helps. And, and yes, just by the way to explain to, to listeners, I, I do record <clears throat> film, for each interview, I film them. That's because I'm making this feature documentary. Um, but yeah, I hold each interview in people's bedrooms while they're sitting on their bed. So, And I use an extreme wide angle. So I found that when you cut them together, people's bedrooms take on a whole other character in the film. Mm-hmm. Like You can really tell a lot from somebody by where they sleep and assuming that they also have sex there. Um. <laughs> oh yeah, and they were all so different, just like the pictures I saw. Yes, yeah. yeah. 
like people have very unique ways of decorating their 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 sleeping quarters. Um, so that's that's fun to sort of compare. Another thing that I really liked too was going back and actually being able to see some of the, like the interviewees, like even seeing how people would like sit on their beds mm-hmm. in certain ways. Like <laughs> yeah. some were so much more comfortable. For me, like I feel like I'm pretty like high strung, so I was like on the corner of my bed, like <laughs> right on the edge. But then other people were just like laying across and all that stuff. So. Yes, yes, that's a good point. Um, I did just want to mention too that this first season of Fruit Bowl is very much skewed towards cis gay men. And that is not intentional on my part. It has mostly to do with the fact that this first round of interviews were drawn mostly from my own personal network and friends and people who were referred to me. And so another reason why I wanted to talk about it at the beginning of this episode is to make an explicit request to get more diverse voices from more diverse communities. And, you know, that means all different types of people, not just uh, gender expression and and race, although those are very important. Um, you know, I want, I want people from all different kinds of backgrounds and experiences. I just want to encourage people to uh, volunteer if they are interested in the project. I don't want people to get the sense that I'm overly focused on on cis gay men because I feel like the project's only going to be stronger the more diverse it is and personally I I love working on interviews from people whose whose perspectives I don't really have a personal experience with I I, I feel like I learned so much uh, not only about how unique their experiences but about how what all the things we share in common uh, I love that part of of interviewing people, um, and I also really want to get more femme voices on the podcast, um, not just lesbians, but trans women and and genderqueer, bisexual, anyone who finds themselves outside the heteronormative experience of our culture. Um, so yeah, just uh, please reach out to me. You can tweet at me at fruitbowlpod on Twitter. You can visit our website at fruitbowlpodcast.com. And there you'll find an email portal where you can write me a note and tell me anything you want about the podcast, what you think, and if you're interested in being interviewed. All right, we're going to listen to George's interview now. George is, as you will hear, from England and has a lot of really unique experiences uh, growing up there. So we'll let him speak for himself. And when we come back, Ryan and I will talk about George's interview. My name is George. I'm 32 and now I'm from Seattle, but originally I am from England. I moved around a bit as a kid, uh, but I guess if I was pushed, I'd say Oxford or Bristol. I had an older sister, and so I think I learned some things like through the grapevine from her. I remember we must have been maybe, f- I was probably four, and she would have been seven, and she had just learned about French kissing, and uh, she wanted to, she, all she would ever want to do is practice in the back of the car. 
like we'd be driving like to the grocery store, my mum would turn around and she'd be like, God damn it, stop. <laughs> um, although the way she thought the French kissing worked was that one person held their mouth like really tight and the other person held their mouth really wide and then they like matched together. Um, didn't like it, wasn't into it. <laughs> um, but how did I learn about sex properly? I think the first time I masturbated, or maybe the first time I came, it would have been around the age of 10. I remember watching a like documentary or a TV show which was about, um, about sex and about like, I think this one was about penises, which is telling. The signs were all there. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember like just kind of rubbing, rubbing my dick and it feeling really good. And so I kept doing it. Um, and then it started to leak and I really fucking freaked out. Um, uh, but then I remembered I had read about this before. Or maybe I'd watched this, this is on the TV show. Maybe that was why. Um, and it felt really good. And I distinctly remember thinking, I don't know if I'll do that again. <laughs> and I never have. <laughs> no. Uh, but that was probably the first kind of sexual uh, experience with myself. Um, like masturbating to a TV show and, and then coming for the first time. I remember it being on a television channel with adverts. So okay. it was probably on Channel 4. That's what life was like in the UK before cable. Four channels. Four. Yeah, Channel 4 was a little more edgy. And so they were more likely to have a show about dicks. Okay. I think it was Channel 4 that also had Queer as Folk. Oh, yeah. I definitely got off to the British version of Queer as Folk a, a lot. I definitely worked it out by the time that got on TV. Um, yeah, I wanked that all the time. Mm. I went to a boarding school from the age of 11, and um, it was a mixed boarding school. It wasn't all boys. We were in boarding houses, like in dorms with four or five other guys. Um, and I definitely remember um, around probably the age of 11 or 12, um, like we were, I think we were getting ready for bed at night, and I was changing, and I, one of the other boys was just, just like looking at me, watching me change. And I remember like feeling like I wanted to show off my dick and like, um, like impress him with it, which is probably how I've felt since, since that moment, almost continuously. It's exhausting. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think, I, I don't think I had a crush on him or like, I don't think I was sexually attracted to him, but I think we were all working out what sex was and like what it would feel like or what it would mean and uh yeah i think either that night or a few nights later um we definitely like compared dicks like got erections and compared dicks and like felt them eat like together it was uh that's good <laughs> <laughs> People think the boarding school is just this, like, riotous fuck party. That's not the case. Well, at least mine wasn't. Maybe I went to the wrong school. Um, I didn't really get any dick at school. Not past the age of, like, 16. It's, it's interesting, because I think for gay men, the first time, it's like, which one, you know? 
first first hand job, first blow job, first time like having anal sex. I definitely knew what I wanted to do. Um, I just hadn't worked out how to trick someone into having sex with me. I wasn't always like this. Um, I wasn't always the smoldering fuck piece you see before you. No, I, uh, when I was younger, I was uh, much more overweight and quite shy. Shy? Maybe. Still loud, but much more tentative. I was at a student drama festival in Scarborough, which is in the north. High school students and college students and lots of drinking because the law is very lax in some parts of the country. Um, and I, um, I remember spending the evening with a guy who was probably, I was about 18, 19, and he was probably 16, 17. And <clears throat> we were hanging out in this lounge of the um, like hotel we were staying in, or bed and breakfast we were staying in. And I remember I got up, and as I sat down, someone made a joke and like, I'm not sure how it happened, everyone's legs kind of rearranged and my leg just ended up like over his and then we were all kind of snuggled together and there was just this moment where we looked at each other and we knew that like we were gonna have sex and so we went up to my room and we stripped down and started making out and feeling off each other's bodies and like looking at what the other person is like and rubbing up against each other. We didn't have condoms and so we decided we were definitely not going to have full sex. Full sex. Um, that definitely still happens. Um, and then uh, I, remember, I remember blowing him for like, I don't know how long. But at one point, he was having a great time. And so was I. I really enjoyed it. But I remember at one point stopping and being like, you know, tell me when you're about to come. And he was like, oh, I came like three times already. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you, you could have told me. He was like, I thought you would notice. I don't know. Um, we enjoyed ourselves. I'm, I probably got off. I'm sure I did. But I remember, I remember cuddling afterwards. Um, and... Uh, and being like, this is weird. I was like, it doesn't have to be weird, just, just cuddle. It was, it was kind of intimate. I think, I think there'd been like smaller moments of like playing and a little bit, but that was, I think that was definitely the first time that I had um, like ha taken a person or had a person like come to my room or like, and us like take our clothes off and like want to have sex with each other as opposed to um, I don't know, like a tentative handjob somewhere or like, you know, yeah. a rushed, quiet situation. I don't know. That was the first, like, you, me, bedroom, let's go. Yeah, it's bravery because I don't think anything... I didn't have a lot of sex after that. That was just, I don't know, right person, right moment, mm -hmm. right amount of alcohol, probably. <laughs> after that, when I became older, like, when I started at college, around 1920. I was 20 when I went to, first went to college, and um, somehow by that point, I'd lost a lot of that confidence. And uh, I think because there were other people around me who were already like very sexually active and like had worked it all out and were just ready to go, and I was not, and so, like, it certainly didn't just ramp up from there. 
um, I didn't have a lot of sex at college. I think one of the most embarrassing things that happened to me when, was when I was at college, second year of college, um, a really good friend of mine who was from Newcastle, she was from the north, uh, I spent a lot of time with her. Her friend Matt came down to visit us in London and he was cute and like petite and he was a dancer. <sighs> yeah. Dancers, always a good idea because they know how to move their bodies. They're like 70% leg by weight. It's great. We were having a really good time. Had some drinks. We went back to my apartment um, and we were kind of rolling around. And I think, as I remember it, he was he was on top, right? Yeah, so he was... He was um, I was fucking him and he was riding on my dick and he was it was just... Fantastic, lots of moaning, lots of writhing, hot and sweaty, really great sex. And uh, like, as I was getting close, I just went, oh, 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 Genevieve, who, that's the name of the friend. And he just stopped like mid grind. He was like, what did you just call me? And I was like, I'm so sorry, I, I meant Matt. And he was like, I'm telling her. I'm telling her right now, and like grabs his phone, and like as he's like casually like bouncing up on my dick, he texts her, and he's like, "There you go, you should feel embarrassed," um, and I did, but I still came, so it wasn't that bad. <laughs> but yeah, like shouting out, um, shouting out a girlfriend's name when you're having sex with their best friend. I mean, it would have been better than calling him like Tom or something. Like, <laughs> I think it's like it's slightly less insulting to, like. I don't know. <laughs> don't do drugs is my only advice. <laughs> or drink, it never ends up <laughs> working out. <laughs> my best move in bed. Um, hmm. The thing that I do that gets the most results is taking my clothes off. That almost always works. No, there, there are a couple of things which I really like to do, which are like part of the staple, which, I mean, I guess it's kind of like the magician's circle, right? Like if I'm going to reveal all these secrets, like if anyone who sees this, like subsequently has sex with me, they're going to be like, knew this was happening. I was waiting for this one. Uh, no. Um, <clears throat> I, quite like to, I quite like to keep my underwear on for just a little bit and like... Uh, kind of writhe around and then get to a point where I'm like there lying on the bed and I stand over them and have them like pulled my underwear down because normally what happens is they slip it over my ass and they're like ooh ass and then they pull it down and like finally like as they pull these like tiny tight briefs off me my dick just like like explodes out and like flops around and they all do the same thing they go oh um, so that's nice. It's a nice like reveal. Love a good reveal. Um, but then I think I think my personal favorite move is to like slap my dick on their face, just like, like quite hard as well. Just like bam, 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 bam. Uh, it's a little bit painful and it's a little bit surprising, but it's like very dominating, you know. Just like, and then just like plunge it into their mouth. 
and it it works. I can only speak for my own sexual experience, but like power dynamics are so strong, and so like dominating someone, like physically overpowering them, like slapping them around a bit with a dick, uh, that works. Just like uh, flipping someone or like picking them up, that's pretty powerful. I once hooked up with this guy who I, was t I told him, you know, I want you to be rough, and. Uh, and then we were kind of, it was kind of midway through, and I was like, I thought I told you I wanted you to be rough with me. And he's like, I thought I was. And I was like, no. And he literally just picked me up and just like threw me down on the bed. And I swear my asshole just went, <laughs> I was ready. <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah, that was really hot. Being dominated is sexy. Dominating someone is, is always sexy. So, yeah. To pretend that you've come, right? And then, especially when you're topping, pretend you've come and then keep going for like a minute or two and then actually come because then your bottom's like, <laughs> like they think they got the like deluxe service. Um, I've done that a couple times and uh, yeah, they always call back. They always call back. You know what? It actually happened the first time because like I was really close and so I was making all the noises and it sounded I thought I was gonna come and I just didn't for some reason and like it went away for a bit. So I just kept on like grinding away. But like I kind of committed to the fact that I was probably gonna come and so I just like theatrically climaxed and then just kept on pumping away until until it actually did. And then it was all the sweeter, so yeah. But that that played out very well. Hmm, what would I tell myself just as dis discovering sex? Or what advice would I like to have been given? There's no gay sex ed. Like, no one, no one teaches gay men how to have sex, apart from other gay men. And that can be really abusive sometimes. And so um, it would have been nice to have some logistics about cleaning out for anal sex. That would have been helpful. That would have been really helpful a number of times uh, before, before I worked that one out. I mean, now with the age of the internet, it's a lot easier. And like fucking Teen Vogue killing it on teaching everyone how, which bravo Teen Vogue, really like, the change we need in the world, but basic logistics about like what it takes to have anal sex would have been nice when I was like 18. Warming up, like um, breathing, the fact that like you're not gonna shit yourself, it's just that you have a dick in your ass. That feels, that's why it feels like you're gonna shit yourself. It's because you're like stuffed full of dick, which is what you wanted. Um, those sorts of things would have been nice. But I think like beyond specifics or technique, which it's kind of fun to work that out. Um, I would like to tell the 18, 19 year old uh, version of me that um, confidence is a state of mind. Uh, it's not something you uh, possess all the time. And um, I think so much of I missed out on so much sex when I was younger because I was shy or I didn't think I had a nice enough body to deserve to have sex with people or 
I didn't know what I wanted, and I did know what I wanted, but I just didn't have the confidence to ask for it or demand it. And eventually, once I got to the part of my life where I, I felt I had that confidence, I realized that everyone else was the same, you know? Not everyone, but a lot of people are like super ready, super keen to have sex. They just can't like push forward to that point where they're like, hey, you wanna fuck me? And I think if I'd, I would like to tell my younger self that if you want the confidence to do something, just, just make it up. Just pretend you have it and then do it because that, that makes a huge difference. Be honest about what you want. Uh, there's infinite kinds of sex out there and uh, all of it is available to you if you want it. Uh, you just have to ask, politely. <laughs> awesome. And we're back here with Ryan to chat about George's interview. What did you think? Just hearing his interview, I was like, this is so endearing. Like, yeah. I, I totally have a voice crush on him. <laughs> well, he's very handsome, too. Um, and single. Uh, <laughs> hey, maybe we'll have our first football match. match. Right. <laughs> um, but um, speaking of that, I'm going to post people's photos on the Patreon site, too, just because I know sometimes listeners want to see what people look like. So that's a fun thing, too. Um, one thing I... Th I like how George is really good at articulating the inner journey of a lot of queer people when there is a lot of insecurity in the beginning. And that's one reason why many of us don't feel like we're ready to have sex because we haven't had sex yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's this sort of, there isn't a learning curve. We give each, we give ourselves sometimes. No. We expect to be perfect right out of the gate and to know everything and how it works and, you know, and, and, I feel like he's really good at articulating having compassion with yourself and patience with the process of learning how to have sex. Um, that's something I think is a recurring theme. Oh, totally. Like even like just the logistics, like he was bringing up, like there's even stuff right now where I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> right. You know, like just even <laughs> just not even like the emotional part of it, but just still like logistics of like having sex with people. <laughs> yeah. When did you feel like you really had sex figured out? I want to say that it was probably with the third person I had sex with. Yeah. And um, how many years between when you first had sex and, and that partner? Or or months? <laughs> um, I think it was like six or seven months. The first guy that I had ever had sex with, like that was... we quote-unquote did it but it was so like transactional mm -hmm. um not like we didn't want it to be but it's like the logistics of it kind of like what george was saying where there's so much you have to learn logistics wise yeah um in terms of positions positions and preparation like, yeah yeah that you kind of like are so like overwhelmed with all those thoughts yeah that you don't really get to just enjoy it mm -hmm. um so then i feel like the second time um with someone else um I actually told him, I was like, you know, like, this is really only the second time, like, um, or you're like the second person I've had sex with. Like I did it a few times with the first person, but it just never really got to the point where yeah. it was like enjoyable. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the second time, like that's when I, I feel like he was more experienced because the person that I was with first, he was also a virgin, mm-hmm. um, which I was too in that sense. So the second person was a lot more experienced. So I feel like just having that yeah. made it better where I was like, okay, like I'm still in my head, but I have someone that understands what's going on. And, and was like, he patient? Did he guide things? Mm-hmm. Help yeah. Out? Yeah. Um, so like it was a lot more safe, like mentally mm-hmm. there. You felt taken um, care of. Yeah. So then really the third person was actually like my first relationship. Mm. Um, again, like I just communicated. I was like, you know, like I've only really been with two people. Like this is just kind of where I'm at. This is where I think my interests are sexually. Um, that that's where I was getting even more and more comfortable to explore sex where I think I like got my foundation and yeah. like, um, got comfortable with it. But even then, like, fuck, like eight, nine years later, I'm still learning <laughs> and still figuring things out and what I like and don't like. What's something you figured out recently? Um, cause I, I, I love that point. I love the idea that we're always learning. I think, like, honestly, going back to, like, George's point about the logistics, like, cleaning out, but, like, the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and being open to, like, trying, like, new techniques and really figuring out, like, what makes me the most comfortable to have sex so I never have these, like, thoughts of, like, something could go wrong in the back yeah. of my mind. Because I think, I don't know, maybe I'm just a worry wart, but I would think that a lot of people have those thoughts. Like, sure. no matter what. So there's, is there a new cleaning method that you, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's more of like a diet thing now. Mm, um, that's just, a good tip. I've just been more like health conscious in general, Yeah. but I've noticed how much that's positively affected me sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, what you eat, um, fiber rich diet. Yeah. Fiber rich. Um, it does make a difference. And also just not eating like shitty processed foods. Yeah. Like, I mean, logistically, it's great because, like, it's definitely clean, but also, like, your body just feels better. So I feel like I'm a lot more in tune Mm -hmm. with, like, um, just, like, not feeling gross. I've also recently started a diet and been eating a lot more fruits and vegetables. And I'm like, yeah, I feel my body just feels so much better. Yeah. Yeah. And, I like, it really does make sex so much better just eating an apple instead of a bag of Cheetos. (laughs) Yes. I think if I had to think of something I've learned recently, how using a condom when I'm fucking somebody makes me last longer. Like I didn't really think about that. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was until only just recently that I started having bareback sex again and I can compare the two now, you know, Mm because for the longest time it was only ever using a condom. Well, I really like to give, I like to top because I like to give pleasure to the bottom. I love it when I hear it and see it in their face that mm-hmm. they're really enjoying it. So I tend to want to be like, Oh, okay. Seems like they're really into their zone. I'm just going to keep on <laughs> pounding away while I can. And if I come, then that makes it even more fun. <laughs> <laughs> but if I don't, they're still having a good time. Right. And I am too. I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll admit like fucking somebody without a condom does feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just can't last as long because I'm just like, ah, right. <laughs> it's a lot more sensitive. Yeah. I've never heard of the whole like fake coming thing. Oh, really? Yeah. That's funny. I mean, I never really thought about it until I started working on this project and I'm just like, 
yeah, I mean, if you're fucking somebody and using a condom or, or bareback even, you could say that you came and... I've never heard of that tactic or anything, and I'm like, who's used it on me? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Which is great. Thanks for, like, the confidence. <laughs> <laughs> but I like George's strategy of faking it the first time while you're fucking a guy... And then actually coming when when your dick is, like, out and just, like, it's on the person's chest or something. They feel like they've gotten a bonus round. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not even, like, a... Because, I mean, you hear, like, stories of people, like, faking orgasms just to, like, get it over with, quote-unquote. Yeah. But this is, like, no, it's actually, like, kind of a even, like, better way. To, like, it almost enhances the experience for the other person, which is, like, almost, like selfless i guess is the word I, I don't know if i use that word but definitely an ego boost for yeah the... like it it makes the experience better which more so like when i think of like faking an orgasm or like fake coming like that's because someone's not enjoying it but right to flip it and actually make it better i don't know i i feel like sometimes gay men especially they sort of have a there's a lot of focus on coming yeah like it tends to be proof of the result of having good sex. And I don't know. I can understand that. But I also feel like there should be room for us to just chill and like not expect everything from our partner when it comes to the results of having sex. Yeah. You know? I mean, obviously, coming feels really good. And that that is part of having sex is just wanting to feel good and having a fun time. But, you know, I know a lot of people who can have sex and not come and be totally cool with it. Totally. I think that's, like, something that I've also still been learning, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll catch myself when I'm having sex where I get so focused on the coming part, which I feel like I've gotten better at, like, within the first minute. I'm like, whoa, like, slow down. Like, yeah. It's, nobody's in a hurry. Mm -hmm. um, to where you do, like, slow down and actually enjoy what you're actually doing versus what you're trying to get to. Um, yeah metaphor for life but <laughs> well, well often if if people are having trouble coming and it's frustrating them getting upset about it it prevents you from coming right. like it seems it's this cycle that happens and yeah often when people are relaxed or they're in a more comfortable uh location or they're with somebody that they're more familiar with they are a lot less worked up and right. can relax and come a lot easier I think George does a really good job of reflecting on his uh, evolution in terms of his comfortability around having sex and the skill level that he thought he needed. I feel as like as queer people, we often yeah want to be really good at having sex right out of the gate, and we're really hard on ourselves when we fall short of our own expectations and what we think is being a good lover. You know, and um, sometimes that insecurity can really have very real consequences in terms of our comfort comfort level with with different sex acts and partners and knowing what to do or not to do with them. Like it was a while before he had full on sex again because he just didn't have the opportunity, you know, and he was still insecure about his performance. I think I actually really liked hearing that, though, like it brings a lot of humanity back in a world and community that I feel like we're kind of missing some humanity. So hearing the interview. Yeah. It's just, it's refreshing to it's, hear 
people's lives. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I feel like doing this project has made me way more compassionate with myself and and owning my own journey. Because I, I have not had the easiest time. Um, but I don't think any queer person really has a very easy time of it because most of us have to figure it out for Mm -hmm. ourselves on a certain level, certainly internally before we start to externalize our internal lives and tell people coming out and such. But yeah, no, honestly, like just hearing that, I'm like, wow, things really are okay. Like I've, cause I've, I've had so many of those similar experiences. I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. I'm okay. Like someone else has done it. Like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm where I should be. Mm-hmm. Well, I also like how well George articulates that that self care and being being kind to yourself. Like yeah. that to me is so important. Um, so yeah, thanks for saying that. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and join us next time on Fruit Bowl. Thanks for listening to Fruit Bowl. If you like the podcast, tell your friends and take a moment to rate and review it on your podcast app. That really helps us spread the word. If you want to learn more about Fruit Bowl, visit fruitbowlpodcast.com, where you can find links to current episodes, as well as information about our interview process and links to our social media, including our new Patreon page. Patrons who pay a monthly subscription fee can access behind-the-scenes updates, participate in live chats, and access exclusive video clips. Once again, that's fruitbowlpodcast.com. Fruitbowl is proud to support the AMP, AIDS Memorial Pathway in Seattle, a passionate group of volunteers and community leaders, including people living with HIV, people of color, and members of the LGBTQIA community have begun work on the AMP. Set to open in 2020, the pathway will be located on the plaza near Seattle's Capitol Hill Light Rail Station and the north edge of Cal Anderson Park. The AMP is community-driven and collaboratively funded and will use public art to create a physical place for remembrance and reflection, utilize technology to share stories about the epidemic and the diverse community responses to the crisis, and provide a call to action to end HIV-AIDS stigma and discrimination. The AMP is currently seeking volunteers to help with promotion, collect stories, and fundraising efforts. For more information, visit theamp.org. This has been a Fruit Bowl production, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening.